1: Welcome to another episode of We're All a Little Crazy. This is Eric Houston along with your co-host Darren Revell. Theo couldn't join us for this episode, uh, but it's an important one. We've had a lot of loss this week. Uh, a big time football coach, beloved football coach, Mike Leach. On the day we're recording right now, we lost DJ Twitch, who so many knew from dancing, from being a DJ, from being on Ellen. You know, people saw him and they said he's such a smiley, vibrant outgoing guy how do we lose him in the way that we did topic like suicide like we talked about on the last show but what brings us together for this show is is also lost sadly uh the loss of a reporter who spent a ton of time working for sports illustrated he was there from 1996 to 2001 covering both soccer and college basketball he's worked with fox sports he's worked with cbs sports wrote a book called The Beckham experiment was a graduate of Princeton from 1996. And I'm talking about Grant Wall, who was out covering the uh, World Cup out in Qatar. And what we've learned since, unfortunately, he passed while he was covering one of the games. It was uh, Friday's Argentina-Netherlands match. And he collapsed um, in the press box during the game in the seat that he was in. And, uh, you know, the world heard about it since we've learned that it was an undetected aortic aneurysm in his heart. And according to his wife, something that had been brewing for some time, his wife's name is Dr. Celine Gounder. And so the first guest uh, that we're bringing on today is a gentleman by the name of Sam Borden. Sam's had a long history uh, career uh, working in and around sports reporting most recently before his position with ESPN was working um, in and around European sports for New York Times and now, you know, does global reporting for uh, for ESPN and was out there covering um, the, the World Cup at the time. And the reason why I wanted to invite Sam on is Sam and I are friends. I, I think it's important for people to know that we had mutual friends uh, in college. Sam and I did not go to college together, but we met around that time. And I followed his career ever since. And I saw very poignant posts that he had shared on Facebook, right? This is what friends do sometimes more so than just a reporter is put it out there because it's almost like it's an unbelievable feeling. And you almost have to put it out there in a way of like, this is surreal. I, I don't understand this, but I need to process it some way. So Sam, I appreciate you being generous that you're coming and talking with us. And when I say generous, because this can't be easy for you.
2: Yeah, thank you, uh, Eric. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, for sure, it's it's one of those things where, um, you know, losing Grant, I think, kind of hits in a a lot of different ways. You know, I'm 43, Grant was 49, and so you know, you're sort of that that age uh, where, you know, deaths feel tragic and they kind of hit close to home. Could that happen to me? I think you know, other guests you'll have on tonight can relate to this too. But like. Anybody who works in journalism or a field where you travel a lot, like the idea of getting sick or or dying far from home in a hotel, you know, like away from your family, away from people who love you, that hits very close to home. And then I think, you know, with this one, the thing that I've been grappling with the most in terms of just processing it, and then I think has made it a little bit harder than other tragedies that, you know, have happened to people that I love or care about, is, is the sort of... The ability to visualize all of it, you know. Grant died. I mean, I wrote this um, in the Facebook post. You know, Grant was a friend of mine from work, and he died at work. And that place of work was something that we shared. It's it's the place I saw him the most. It's the place that we were together the most. And you know, these these press boxes um, in World Cup stadiums or at you know big soccer tournaments, they're all the same. Like it's very easy to imagine. You know, for me, I mean, I'd been there, I'd been at that stadium, I'd been in that press box, but even if I hadn't been, I can see it all so easily, you know, these, the way the tables are set up, I mean, you know, you're in shoulder to shoulder, it's very tight. It's not like a press box, like in a in a basketball arena, um where you're sort of separated from the fans, it's literally in the stands, you know, the fans are on either side of you. There's, you know, people above you, people below you, like, it's it's just like this this cauldron kind of, you know and it was a place that it feels like there's a lot of chaos but for for people like us who spend a lot of time there, it's our office. It, it's supposed to be as comfortable as you know somebody go into an office like in a city or you know in an office park or something like that. that's where we work. And so I think the thing that has been the biggest thing for me with this is just, grappling or, or processing the idea that that place where we work became this incredible place of tragedy. You know, I have, I don't know if you guys talked about this, but a few years back, a baseball reporter, Nick Cafardo, he, you know, he collapsed at spring training and it was the same kind of thing. And I have a lot of friends who were there that day when Nick died and they said sort of the same thing. Like, it's just, this is our workplace. This is where we go to, to, to be the thing that we are and Grant was being the thing that he was, and then he died. And so that's, I think, you know, when you talk about sort of how do you process all this, for me, that sort of marriage of horrible tragedy, close friend and this place that is, you know, sort of like supposed to be the place where we do the thing that we do becoming the place where it all happened. It's, it just adds an element that I think makes it really difficult.
1: You know, Sam, I, I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, as you're saying that and talking about a person who was working with you at the time, the sports business industry lost, and I don't know how many on this call are familiar with it, uh, a gentleman by the name of Jason Jenkins. He was working with the Miami Dolphins. This was preseason right before a game and collapsed in his office. Similar type of uh, cardiac um, situation. And for sharing, everyone else on the call, we've got Wayne Dreis with us, who spent 20 years with ESPN. Um, we got Dr. Holly McKenna, who's an integrative psychiatrist, graduated from Duke, from Wake Forest. She's got degrees up the wazoo. Um, her husband is actually the radio play-by-play person for the Pelicans, and I know Holly's going to share some of her own experiences with Todd, her husband, and what he's experienced in terms of you know real life situations where it was either near death or, you know, some volatile situations that she's seen, you know, Sam, as, as you think about the passing, you know, what goes into my mind is most people knew um, Grant on TV. They knew the personality, right? As someone who knew him as a friend and spent a ton of time with him, do you, as you're, as you're processing it, do you see him through the eyes as just that was my friend that passed? Or do you see him as the personality as well? And can you see how a fan might try to process that at the same way, just because you knew him so differently?
2: Yeah, no, I, I I, definitely can. I mean, I think that one of the things that made Grant special, one of the reasons that I liked him uh, very much was that he was authentic. You know, he was very generous. He was very true to sort of, the passion that made him into this you know trailblazing journalist in a, w- a lot of ways in terms of covering soccer and helping to elevate its profile in the united states and honestly i mean i benefited from a lot of what he did because you know like you said i went and spent you know i was the first person that the new york times sent kind of overseas in sports to cover european sports day to day and write about that for sort of a mainstream audience. And a lot of the people that I met at, at soccer clubs or soccer journalists that I met in France or Germany or England, they, you know, the only thing they knew about American sports coverage of soccer was Grant, you know? Um, and so that was something that allowed me to kind of have the career that I'm having right now. And Grant was very generous in terms of talking to young people and and just being, accessible. You know, I think uh, everybody on this call probably knows plenty of journalists um, that have an incredible ego. And Grant had plenty of ego. I mean, we all do. I certainly do too. But that in a lot of cases, that ego keeps that person from allowing themselves to be secure enough to then pay it forward or be generous to people coming up. And Grant was not like that. You know, he highlighted other people's work, even in competitive situations, when somebody would beat him on a story. He highlighted people doing stories that he would have liked to have done himself. And I think that that's really important. And I think, you know, when you you talk about how do people see him, like, yeah, I'm sure there are plenty of people who just know the name from Sports Illustrated or have saw him on Fox or whatever. I don't think of him that way. I mean, I think of him as, you know, somebody I would have dinner with or, you know, whatever. I mean, I, you know, spending time with him and his wife, you know, in France, when they were over there, and I was living there, like, I think of him that way. But I think that the 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 thing that makes it special is that the gap between the way that I think of him and the way that maybe like somebody who wouldn't know him as well, probably isn't that big, you know, sure. he was a pretty, he was a pretty organic guy in all those situations. Well, I, I think, just, I just... think what,
1: what brings this, and, and Darren, I want to go to you, because there's so many common experiences, some of the things that Sam share things that I've heard from you directly in terms of your own I think what makes this case so special and that's even a a bad term because it's such a tragic thing that happened is that the passing happened the World Cup happens every four years men's national team that is and and so it's happening on the big stage and during a game I mean that's just it's surreal to think about and so Sam I mean you started off when I asked you about Grant, you said it kind of puts the reality into your own life. Like, could this happen to me? I'm 43, he's 49. Darren, you talked about how you've had, I don't know if you want to call them panics. I don't know if you want to call them overthinking spells, but where your own mortalities come into perspective um, when you've heard stories like this.
3: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've fought uh, fear of death since I was seven years old. Um, and actually went to a psychologist, um, in, in 1986, uh, when it wasn't, you know, my parents sent me because I wouldn't drink, I wouldn't drink milk because there was some milk poisoning and I wouldn't take Tylenol because of the Tylenol poisoning. And, and, you know, throughout my life, it was, I didn't address it until it got so bad, but I was essentially fighting, um, uh, to, Live life because I was so scared of death. Um, and the crazy thing is that when when things happen, um, i I've had to figure out a system to distance myself, and it's very difficult. Um, uh, I know that one of my major panics came when Urban Meyer had his heart issues. I for like two or three weeks thought I was dying and felt my pulse every second. Um, and and with Urban,
1: Urban Myers, I mean what's amazing about that, and when we bring Holly in, I wanna I wanna address this is like Urban Myers is in he's in sports, he's a football coach, but he's not a reporter, right? So it's like think about it,
2: it's it sounds there, is, there is something though.
3: There is there is something with reporters too, because many reporters have died in their 40s, and right we have a bad reputation. All we do is we report. We don't we're not really that great with our finances, and we never really check on our health. Right. As as, as you, you always say, Eric, you got uh, deep into your work and your work was burying everything else. Right. I think we as reporters do that maybe more than other professions. And so, you know, in some sense, there's a relief that Grant could do nothing because there's so many reporters that could have done something as crazy as that sounds that it was yep. just a time bomb. Um, but but yeah, like especially with all these deaths happening, it's a, it is a challenge for a lot of people and I am so distant now because of the work that I've had to do thousands and thousands of hours that it almost seems insensitive, but it's the only way I could survive. The only reason like I'm on this earth right now is because I was able to figure out a way to distance myself and that's not me. And I know a lot of people are have, you know, like I think by the time Wayne uh, you know, caught his aneurysm ahead of it, right? Like I would by that time I I had built protections around it. but Wayne is a very close friend of mine. and and if if that happened in 2006 or 2007, I don't know, I mean, I don't know how I'd be able to deal with it. And forget about Wayne, who then has to go get surgery. And as to say, well, I saved my life, I saved my own life, but now I'm kind of just worried in general. And you look at Wayne and he's he's on the bike and and is exercising more than I am um, (laughs) and looks great. So it's just I I don't know. It's it's um, I, I just wanted to share my experience of kind of building walls of protection so that I could live life, not survive from death.
4: Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad free?
1: But you know, Darren, let's go through the chronology of this. And I want to bring Sam and, and Wayne into this because Wayne, you're referring to Wayne Dre's, you know, in feeling certain senses of anxiety uh, ends up getting checked out and um, finds something very similar wrong with him. When you talk about Grant being a ticking time bomb, it, it what, what, what Wayne, what, what Wayne went
3: through Saved his life. We're gonna we're gonna dive into that story before. Although although he did wait to get the surgery until the Cubs won the World Series. (laughs) Well,
1: okay. Whether that was the smartest thing or not, we'll we'll reserve judgment until Wayne gets (laughs) to share. But, but Darren, I just want to because I want to get the chronology of this for you because I think Sam and Wayne will be able to relate to this. You've shared publicly the first when, when you came to me because I shared my story and you said, Eric, I've got a story myself. A big piece of the meat of your story was that you went out to Canada to cover the Olympics, and the you know the teleprompter you're reading looks all scrambled, and you feel like you're
3: you're falling apart, and they're they're. I, had a, 20, I had a 28 day panic attack when I was in Vancouver.
1: Yeah, and and, and so the timing of that relative to when Wayne got sick relative to the stuff you're talking about with urban meyer can you give us a little bit of sense of timing of all that and then from that i want to know if wayne and sam being on camera not i hope i'm not bringing up any jinxes for the future but have had some of those terrors like what 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 darren's describing what happened on camera so yeah i mean i mean mean, timing
3: yeah, I mean Urban Meyer was before. So Urban Meyer was like, I don't know, 2006, 7. Vancouver was 2010, Wayne was 2016. Okay. Um yeah, yeah. I mean, but but yeah, I mean, it, what's crazy is uh the outside force, you know, death happens, death creates as you know, more than maybe anyone PTSD and other things. And we are not we are prepared to deal with our own mental health, how we think of every day and how we're doing. And then a death can come in. And that is something we are never prepared for. Um, So
1: you see, I mentioned Mike Lease before, but you see how young he actually was. And when you bring up Urban Meyer, like Mike Leach had a lot of liveliness to him. Like the, like guy was brilliant in all the different topics he talked about. When you see the number up there, it was, if I'm, if I'm saying it right, 61. 61, right? I mean, that, that is not old at all. Sam and Wayne, like being on camera, the pressure that you guys have to perform. And here's the reason why I'm bringing it up, Sam and Wayne. I'm not tangentially bringing up another topic. I'm bringing it up because as Darren's describing, he's calling it PTSD. I'm going to call it the accumulation of stress and trauma in our system because I think everyone has some form of PTSD in them. Do you notice that um, we had Josh Lewin shared with us, Darren, same thing. This happened to him on camera when he was, I think it was with the Astros. Can you remember any time, Sam or Wayne, where like you were on camera and you're like, something just doesn't feel right, or I'm not in the zone, or like I'm not locked in the way that I was before?
2: Sam, go ahead. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's funny, you know, I think everybody has anxieties about different things, and I certainly can relate to, you know, the fear of death and sort of the the idea of, you know, like you said, Darren, um, almost refusing to live, you know, as a way to avoid dying. For me, you know, the biggest anxieties that I've dealt with over the years have generally been more... Um, related to like claustrophobia or inability to sort of control the situation. And so for me, like moving from a career where I was almost exclusively writing where, you know, if I needed to get up and leave the press box, I could get up and leave the press box right. to into a TV into a, a role where I was doing a lot more television. That really was an issue for me because you know if I'm sitting at a, a you know a desk in the studio and we're about to go on television, like I, I can't get out of that situation. So I, I struggled with that and still struggle with that for sure. I mean, uh, I like doing remote hits like the ones I was doing in uh, Doha way more than I like going on a. 10-minute segment or 20-minute segment on Outside the Lines in the Studio, for sure. Uh, and I still grapple with that. You know, the, the thing that I was just going to follow up on what um, Darren said that I think is really interesting and I think maybe plays into, you know, the, the way that we process all of these things is that, you know, we're in the media. And so, especially nowadays, you know, all of these things, all of these stories, Grant Wall dying in Qatar, um, you know, Mike Leach dying uh, the way that he did, like Nick Kafardo dying at spring training at Boston Red Sox. Like there was a time 20 years ago where those stories wouldn't have been as accessible and immediate yes. to us. We wouldn't have lived them moment to moment to moment the way that we do now. And to your point, Darren, like, it would probably be healthier from a mental standpoint. And certainly for me, a, a, you know, in this case with Grant, he's a friend to, to be able to step back and just like, okay, this tragedy happened and I'm gonna go process it and talk to my wife or talk to my therapist or talk to whoever I need to talk to. Yep. But instead I'm on Twitter looking for every detail, every yeah. every recollection, every remembrance. When's the memorial gonna be? What does his Celine say about the cause? Was it foul play? Like. I'm living it for days, you know what I mean? Because yeah. we in the media are conditioned to experience life that way more than sort of the average person. But and- I'll,
1: t- I'll tell you, Sam, though, I think because I'm, I'm the non-reporter on here and Holly's maybe the non-reporter, though she goes on and has asked a lot of times to go on, is though that's not our job. So we lost DJ Twitch today. I work in the mental health space. I cannot – Darren calls me all the time and I pick the phone up because we got stuff going on. I had to tell Darren twice that I can't talk right now because people were so fascinated by that
3: loss. How could it – how could it – it how was could the it biggest be? how, how could, it could it be. The right? biggest how could it be ever.
1: And, and, and people saw him dancing and smiling and all this stuff. And Sam, as you're talking – like the reason I asked you the question and then – Wayne, you're going to give us this this full rundown of how your story, you know, mirrors in some way, though, fortunately not with the same outcome grants is I think, Holly, and when we go to you, I want you to help synthesize this for us is Sam, as you're talking about this concept of claustrophobia, or this concept of the angst of doing a larger hit versus a shorter hit and stuff like that, or longer, I should say. I think we have a trauma load that builds. And that those symptoms of feeling claustrophobia, when we go into the box, like, why is that building? Why am I feeling more of that? Then we lose a friend like we do here. And what we do as human beings is we try to compartmentalize and we're like, well, that's a loss. This one is a disorder called, you know, (laughs) X, Y, or Z, right? And so those things don't relate to one another. And I think if you take it into totality, It's our nervous system taking on more and more over time. And the accumulation and looking at things that way is so important for people to hear that and see that because what are we doing as a group of essentially five friends on this call right now? We're trying to process a really difficult time that we're going through. And what we hope people who are hearing this are going to be able to process on their end is like, okay, open conversation can happen like this. You can talk about how difficult this stuff is. Even public figures can be open. Look at what this can actually do for putting it out there. Um, and Sam, I, I'd love you for you to stay. Stay as long as you want for everyone who's out there. Sam, being a friend, is, is doing us a favor, coming in on this. Got some daddy duties on his end. Um, but Wayne, you know, we've teased it a little bit. So if you can kind of take us back to... You know, I know Darren gave the time frame, but everything that happened with you, where there's that commonality that you share with Grant.
5: Yeah. So the the irony in my situation is that, I mean, literally stress and anxiety saved my life. Um, you know, my situation that the, you know, the overload happened, if you will, the the, my nervous system broke down. know I was working on this really really big story about Michael Phelps and had interviewed his father and was kind of one of the first journalists to tell like the behind the scenes story of what Michael went through growing up and um for whatever reason the stress of putting that all together um you know I was just I was having panic attacks and I and I, I was having a shortness of breath and just feeling uneasy I remember sitting at the library um, in the town where I live. And I just, I, I couldn't focus and I'm, I'm, you know, and I'm like, can't breathe. And so I went home and I told my wife, I said, I got to go to the doctor. Like something's not right. Um, and I went to the local, like, you know, quick care type thing. And they were like, yeah, well, you know, you seem fine. Like here's an inhaler basically. And I remember it was, um, it was Thanksgiving week of 2015. And we were getting ready to go to my wife's family in Iowa and, you know, tap the brakes on the trip. Um, until I figured out what was going on. And I went to the ER cause I was fairly sure I was having a heart attack. Um, and I go to the ER and they do the full, you know, the full run up on me. And they're like, look, like everything is fine. Like you aren't having a heart attack. You know, they, they kind of calm me down. They said, we think you were just having a panic attack. But, you know, while we did your chest x-ray, um, totally unrelated to this, but you have an enlarged aorta. And I'm just kind of like, okay, like enlarge your order. Sounds good. You know, like at some point you need to see a cardiologist and, um, you know, take a look at that. Have him take a look at that for you. I'm like, okay. So I come home and, and I mean, even, even to talk to you about, you know, the stress of that, I still, I didn't, I still didn't calm down even after going to the hospital. I know exactly how that is. Yep. And I distinctly remember we drove from, you know, where I live in Chicago to Des Moines, Iowa, about four and a half, five hour drive. And I distinctly remember being on the highway, counting the mile markers as we were going because I was so convinced I was going to keel over and die in the car. Um, and I didn't say anything to my wife. You know, my kids are in the backseat. I'm saying nothing to them. I'm in my own head, my own world. And I'm like, OK, one, you know, another mile, two. you know, I mean, it was horrible. Um, I spent much of that Thanksgiving weekend in, you know, her family's basement, um, you know, watching football and really not doing much. And I and I had a really hard time. Um, And then, you know, eventually down that path, uh, you know, saw a psychologist and talked about what I was going through and and dealt with those things that way. But, you know, in terms of the heart story, I go to the cardiologist and they're like, yeah, you know, um, How, how soon, how soon after? You know, I would guess, Darren, it was probably a month or so, something like that, I would guess. And, and they said to me, um, you know, we want you to come back in six months and we'll find out if it's growing, if it's, um, you know, stagnant and what the situation is. Essentially, what it is is the, the part of, of, of my aorta that goes into the heart, right where that connection happens, the wall had expanded. And when it expands, think of it like a balloon, that wall thins. And if you keep blowing up and blowing up a balloon eventually it pops and so the the only way to repair it is through a you know huge invasive open heart surgery so they don't want to do that unless it's at a point where they need to basically okay so i go back in six months and uh the guy says to me the cardiologist he says you know it hasn't it hasn't grown at all um but it's at a size where i'd like you to see a cardiac surgeon i'm like okay and right around this time, the Rio Olympics are going on. And so I asked him, I said, is it safe for me to go and cover the Olympics, you know, my job? And he's like, yeah, he's like, you should be totally fine. Um, I'm like, okay, well, again, like my anxiety of knowing I had this in me is, is ticking all the time. I see the cardiac surgeon and here was the bad sign. I did not meet him in the examination office. I met him in an office, but when he was behind a desk, And I was like, that's not a good thing. And so he says says to me, listen, um, the spot where your aneurysm is is a very sensitive spot. I could do the surgery, but I want to refer you to a guy I know at the Cleveland Clinic who has literally created the surgery that will save your life. And I said, "Okay, so I'm going to send him your files and he'll call us in a couple of weeks and let us know what he thinks. Great couple of weeks go by month goes by month and a half I honestly just figure it's all okay and then all of a sudden I get a phone call and they're like you need to come here as soon as possible um, to get the surgery um, and that's when I was like it's it was September of 2016 I'm a lifelong cub fan they're on the way to the what I think is the World Series and I told them like look like if I don't come tomorrow am I gonna die or you know can I watch the World Series we and they say life? maybe. And they were like, no, like, you should be o- you should be okay, but we can't, like, <laughs> guarantee it, right? And uh, it's funny. I mean, knowing your medical anxiety, Darren, I mean, Darren was the number one person in my life who was like, stop messing around and go get this done. Like, screw the World Series. Um, and so as it turned out, I waited. Um, I tried to cover the Cubs during that postseason, went to Wrigley Field, and um, I couldn't do it. Um, I, I mean, I literally, I couldn't write anything. I was so bound up in my own world. So how could you, how could you, it's like, how could you do anything? Right. And, 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 you know, the other, the other side story, I mean, I had a grandfather who had a stroke at Wrigley Field and almost died and was in a nursing home the rest of his life. So I'm sitting there thinking about him. Um, and so I watched the world series and then, uh, the Monday after it was over, That's Sunday night. I flew to Cleveland Monday morning. They rolled me into surgery and thank God everything went great. And I was out of there, you know, a few days later and then flew home about a week later and went through a recovery and knock on wood. You know, everything's been great. Um, I will tell you this morning when I woke up and and saw the news about Grant. I mean, it, it was absolutely chilling to read the words that he had the exact same thing that I had. Um, you know, I, I can't even, I can't even, you ask yourself, right? Like, why, why did I have a panic attack that allowed mine to get discovered and, you know, his wasn't discovered? Um, you know, he was such a, you know, I knew him well and he was such a, such a great guy. I think, I think Sam said it best in that, you know, the grant that everybody knew on, everybody knew personally was not different than the one you saw on TV. He wasn't a TV character he was, he was that genuine and kind and caring. And, you know, we competed on a lot of stories and he was always so incredible to me. I mean, he's forgotten more about soccer than I know. Um, and he never ever looked down on anybody or, you know, you know, these people who are experts in their field or their sport and they look down on you. Grant was never, ever that way. So it's, it's been, it's been an experience today that, to, you know, I had a lot of people reach out to me and friends and colleagues and, you know, like, Wayne, like, wasn't that what you had? And I'm like, yeah, like it, it was. And so it's been interesting.
4: Welding instructor, Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty
2: of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need.
4: Explore more stories like Alex's at Meta.com slash Metaverse Impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career? Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
1: You know, when I hear each of you share your stories, my mind goes to, weirdly, keeping Grant out of it for a second, Simone Biles. Why does it go to Simone Biles? Because each of you have an example of needing slightly, maybe Sam, not as much, but I'm sure there's some stories in there to take yourself off the field for a little bit. You know, when you describe Wayne not being able to really report during that Cubs World Series because of what you're bound up with and Darren being drugged up and having to make your way through that month when you're covering the Olympics and Sam, the feelings of, you know, feeling claustrophobic in there, like that should be permission giving to everyone out there. That there's no such thing as this thing called perfect. Our nervous system is a system. A system gets overtaxed over time. And we need to take a pause. And and then that's okay. And in in Wayne's case, the taking of the pause, maybe even if it was forced because, you know, the anxiety is not a comfortable feeling, led to the discovery that is probably the reason why he's with us right now in a place where we're tragically mourning the loss of, of Grant. And and so Holly, as you hear and synthesize everyone's stories, you hear and synthesize what Grant, what what happened with Grant, and how everyone's processing it. My first question would be, like, as human beings, you know, Darren talked about realizing his mortality at a young age. I've got a vivid story remembered being in you know Sunday school, reading Adam and Eve, and thinking like, well, what happened before that? And what happened before that? What happened before that? My mind just went in this circular loop where it was like mortality wait what happens to after or before and then with all the things with my brother getting sick for all those years at a young age I was so up close to the possibility of death it it, it was it, it hovered over me the way that Darren's describing as human beings I've heard this before but to hear from a doctor like are we born with this ability to kind of try to move away the concept of death when we're younger and are we protected from that at first and then Because situations happen in life, we can't get away from being protected the way that our parents try to shield us from it.
6: Yeah, I mean, I think when we are young, part of it is just a lack of understanding of the permanence of death. And so, you know, parents do try to protect their children from understanding that permanence and kind of getting to that point, you know. Along the way, we lose pets, we lose grandparents, what have you that kind of forces that conversation at whatever level of understanding we have. Um, but there is a natural tendency to try to other that, like we talk a lot about in the same here organization, othering and categorizing it in a place that doesn't make it scary for us. You know, So when you hear about someone having whatever tragedy happen, if you can somehow make it so that it's less likely to happen to you, that's a natural tendency. Um, But then when it happens, you know, as uh, uh, Sam was describing the play-by-play area, I mean, I could picture that in my mind, you know, as you mentioned, my husband, Todd has done play-by-play for over half of his life. And, Anytime he watches something on TV, he looks to see where the play-by-play guys are and comments on how great that would be to be there in the middle of it and the sounds. And, and so, you know, and I, I have, you know, my kids are in the other room. They've both been in, the, in various booths with my husband doing various things. so um, And I'm sure, you know, families of play-by-play folks, just as I was, can picture that. I'm sure his wife, even though she, maybe she's been there, maybe she hasn't, could picture that. Um, so when it is something so personal or people that we feel like we know, um, whether it be because we have met them or just because as we've talked about, Grant had such a personality that was who he was.
1: Kobe Bryant, James Gandolfini, like the outpouring of, of grief. When those past- do you guys remember what it was like to be on Facebook? Uh, I'm, I'm dating all of us, but like when Kobe Bryant passed. To watch those tributes, I don't mean to, to thwart your, your momentum here, Holly, please no, go back to it, but, but it's, it's like when we, when we see people pass we've seen on TV, they feel like our cousin, our brother, our uncle, whatever it is, our aunt, and we're like, no, that's not possible person's in my family like that uh, that person's here yeah. and, young. And,
6: and here in new orleans someone was from our family in that that what there was a, a new orleans reporter also there so yeah that there's there is that kind of level of grief that people relate to that uh maybe keeps you from othering it you know and and i think. Probably why it's maybe a little harder right now is it is holiday season, you know, as we kind of talked about before we pressed uh, the start of this. Um, And people have memories of loved ones right now, uh, whatever their belief system is. But this is a time of year when people tend to gather as families, whether that's a positive or never negative experience. And so memories of loved ones come up. Um, I myself have anniversaries of deaths, of suicides at this time of year. Um, And I think a lot of people do. And so when something like a Twitch or, uh, you know, it's whomever happens around this time of year brings up those memories as well. Um, And again, it's difficult to push it away because it is something that is close to home. uh, It's also, it's also the, it's also
3: the end of the year. So I've had an annual like end of the year, panic where I used to go on vacation with my family when I was younger. And it was like the worst vacation ever. Like the December 23rd to 30th vacation was, was bad because it forced me to look back on the year. And instead of saying, I'm fortunate, it's like, am I going to die this year? You well, know? Cause
1: it's a reminder of another year passing, yeah. right? Like it's yeah. as, as that calendar comes up, you know, and Holly when you're talking about the protection of young kids you know, when a pet dies, or when grandpa or gran- grandma dies, our parents go, they're up in heaven in the sky looking down on us, right? And it's like, so we think of they're still with us in some way. And it's very hard for a young brain to process like what that means of a loss of like, I'm never going to see them again. So your parents put this idea in your head of like, no, no, no they're just up there. They're looking down on you. Right. And then I, I think my guess is, you know, that idea of othering happens because it, it's overwhelming that system that we're all talking about that has been revved up for us in many different ways. When we lose people, right, each of us outside of Grant, right, have friends, family members who've died young. That's, that's sadly what's part of life. And so it's almost like a, it's like a punch to the gut each time that builds and builds and builds. And then what you're describing now, Holly, with the holiday time, like, Sam, tell me this because you're his friend. Like your one of your thoughts has to go to, I'm going to be, I, actually you wrote in your piece, Sam, like I'm home with my, with my family. And one of my daughter says, Oh, it's like normal again. Right. So in your mind, you got to be going normal doesn't get to happen for Grant's family.
2: No, totally. That's a big part of it. And I think like Darren said, you know, uh, this time of year, I always struggle with part of it. I think, I mean, my birthday is in December, um, but also, I think there's this sort of like expectation that we're going to be reflective in this time, that we're going to be joyous in this time, that we're going to be, um, you know, um, appreciative in this time, and it's difficult, at least for me, to live up to those societal expectations. You know what I mean? I, maybe I'm nervous in this time, or anxious in this time, or afraid in this time, and I think that any time that you have that sort of juxtaposition of like, here's how I'm supposed to feel versus here how I actually feel, it's harder. And so then, yeah, when you throw in like all of that, plus this, you know, this tragedy and this, you know, uh, reality that is, it's never gonna be the same as it was for Grant's family, for Celine, for, you know, his brother, for whomever else. Like, yeah, all of that contributes to, I think, like what you were talking about, Eric, sort of an increased load you know, that the nervous system takes on and it just makes it harder. I mean, I guess the only thing I think I'd say about that is that like, as I'm sure we all know, there's no good time for any of these things to ever happen. And so, you know, like whether it was now or whether it was January or Valentine's Day or, you know, whatever, like I think we can always find a way to add another layer onto what, you know, is at its base just a really sad thing. There's never Wayne, a good when time. you finally,
3: Wayne, when you finally had your surgery, after that, so there's a lot of like post-surgery worries, especially with the heart. Like you went and you went on the bike and you became an animal, right? Like you were going nuts, um, like a, as if uh, I'm all good. Uh, I'm testing this thing. I'll be better in sh- if I'm in shape. I'll be better. Like so, what's interesting for me is because I knew there was something wrong with my hands. I, they were numb. I was nervous about it. Then I had serious spinal cord surgery and then I wasn't worried at all. Right. Like once that surgery, I I was like, okay, the surgery is good. Like that took away. So what was your state of mind after it was done? Did, did it create more panic? Um, or what? what share so, with us what happened that's, post that. That's a You
5: that. You Darren. You know, I, you know, I, I went through, um, everybody after you have open heart surgery goes through cardiac rehab. So I'm in the hospital, I'm on a treadmill, and it's me and basically a bunch of like 70 and 80 year old people who are walking, right? And, um, you know, I remember being really scared. You know, they you, they, they, you know, increase the incline on the treadmill and I'm walking at like three and a half and I'm like, oh my gosh, I mean, you know, I can take my shirt off and still see the stitches and whatnot, right? and you know i remember basically telling myself in whoops, in uh cardiac rehab that i was going to test this thing out and find find out pretty pretty quickly if i was going to be okay or not and worst case scenario i said if i kill over i'm already in the hospital so it'll be okay and and honestly i mean even even to this day there are times where I'll feel something or I'll have numbness in my arm or whatever the case may be. And I'll be like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, is, is something wrong again? Right. And, you know, nine times out of ten, the the first thing I do to calm myself down is remind myself of the exercise I did the day before or two days before. Right. Like like that is that is almost my medicine that, you know, like, hey, if I can get on the peloton for an hour and crank out some crazy output and my heart is racing and I'm OK, then Whatever I feel tomorrow or in three days, like I know I'm going to be okay, you know. And I and I think like, you know, in a more general sense, that's what we're all trying to do is figure out an explanation to help us get through everyday life. Yeah. You know, I think of like Grant's situation with all the the questions about foul play initially. People don't want to believe that someone who is is healthy and happy and all these things can just keel over in a press box. Because if that's the case, you know, how do you sort of move on every day? With
3: every day with ourselves? How, do we, exactly. how are we not going to keel over?
5: Exactly. And we, you know, the older we get, we talked about when you're, when you're a kid, right? The older you get, the more experiences you have with awful tragedy. You know, I have a really good friend of mine who just lost his 21-year-old son two days ago to, to brain cancer, right? I mean, like, it's horrible. And, and you see things like this and you see people you care about who have impacted the world, who are no longer with us. And I think it's, it's natural as a human being to try to comprehend how am I still here? Why am I still here? And, and essentially, you know, why is my lotto number not come up?
1: Right. And, and, and that was well articulated, Wayne. And, you know, Holly, as we think about like each one of these, you know, Wayne just shared a friend who had 21 year old who passed, like, is there a way for us? Cause, cause, cause I'm, I'm tying that back to Darren's comment and it resonated with me about how I'm not living for fear of dying. And I think that that's something that so many people can relate to. And I think sometimes we don't actively choose it. It like, it's, it's the protection that we naturally go to. Like, I'm not going to go out and meet a lot of friends. I'm not going to go to a lot of games. I'm not going to get engrossed in whether my teams are winning. I'm not going to meet someone and fall in love because if it gets taken away from me, then look at how painful that's going to be, right? Or 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 if they get taken away from me, look at how painful that's going to be. And, you know, where you can really help us, Holly, because we talk a lot as an organization about star exercises and doing stress and trauma, active releasing and rewiring and these mind body practices, which are for things that have happened and what's built up in the nervous system. But from like, I don't know if it's act therapy, I don't know if it's what it is, but like, is there a way for, for human beings to compartmentalize and process grief so that like our day to day we can kind of, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of like a thought experiment um, uh, uh, process that helps us like okay i can dip my toe in the water and enjoy doing this and push that to the side a little bit and not let that prevent me from living my life and and is is it just as simple as you just have to give blind faith and do it like i don't know if there's if there's a practice that we can do or there's a there's a way we need to train our brain in some way to be okay with experiencing more
6: um i think It is very individualized. I mean, grief, you know, there isn't, you know, there's a lot of books about grief, but there's not really like what you would call like a handbook. Like this is how grief is going to go and this is how we're going to process it. And this is how you get to the other side. I mean, beyond saying that you do have to go through it, it's not something that you can kind of put in a box because it, it seeps out in whatever way, whether it be because years later, you're suddenly unable to function or, you know, you are avoiding life or what have you. It's interesting, what, Wayne, what you ended up doing was actually avoiding a period of time where you were very high risk for becoming depressed. Um, you know, post-cardiac surgery is a very high risk time for folks to become suicidal and depressed, um, which is interesting because the heart spiritually is also a holder of that. Um, so, you know, kind of getting into the Eastern Western side of things. but. Uh, exercise is a great way of conquering things. Exercise increases uh, dopamine, norepinephrine, uh, uh, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, all these yummy chemicals that our brain really needs to help it function well, to help us think clearly, to help us process things. And then for everyone in this space and for the folks we've been talking about during this time, these are all people who are kind of in like more of an artistic space, whether it be writing or Twitch with dancing or DJing or, you know, just creative spaces Um, and creativity is a great holder of flow, which is a way that your brain gets into uh, a brain pattern that allows for healing. You know, we found that that is the brain pattern that we go into when we're highly focused on something, whether it be our writing or reporting or, you know, what, what have you, and you lose track of time. You're just in the moment, just focused on that one thing. And we found the brain pattern that it goes to is the same as when you're meditating or praying or whatever type of practice you may hold. And again, that's the space where your brain is able to process things emotionally, but also physically process things. Um, and that helps us heal. Um, that's a great way, whatever flow means to you, whether it mm-hmm. be writing about the situation as, as sanded or drawing, or, you know, I have people sometimes if they're painters doing art therapy or music therapy or dancing it out, you know, I'm sure that, like a that's lot of why ho- ho- of Holly that, that <laughs> that's,
3: that's why we know we're really in deep doo-doo when we, when Wayne knows that he can't work or I yes. know that I can't work but 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 holly's given holly's given other examples of what
1: you can do other than work because darren we've also talked about the downside of working using work too much right Right, right. and so holly's saying like i mean it might be people might laugh thinking of like darren revell like finger painting or something with his kids right but like you know like (laughs) this is this is really what you know i've had doctors say to me like eric you haven't picked up a basketball in three years because you work so much Get the basketball and go outside and force yourself to shoot around. It's ridiculous to think of me as a former basketball player like that. I have to force myself to do it. But I think Holly, what you're describing is in in answering my question almost in an indirect way is the doing of stuff is the opposite of sitting in the stewing of stuff. Right? I I didn't mean that to try and make a lame rhyme or or anything. It just kind of came. So good at them, though,
6: Eric. I mean, (laughs) just embrace it.
1: Yeah, we you did say that we were having an artistic uh, moment here, right? like getting away from that those negative feelings is thinking about the what if scenarios. And so if Wayne finds himself, Wayne go back to that moment before the surgery happened, when you're the, the Cubs are in the world series and you can't work, your brain is probably on fire going, what if the surgery doesn't work? Well, I I can't believe I survived what I survived up to this point, but, uh, and then what happens to my kids? And then who's going to take care of them? Right, and so when 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 Grant passes away, it, the the natural things that come up like I'm around the same age, or I'm a little just a little younger, I'm just a little older, or I'm a reporter too, or I've been traveling recently, like all the connection points that our brains make, how unhealthy that is to stay in that spot, because that adds to that load to that nervous system, and I think as humans, the the reason why healing from mental health and and that's a broad term, right? Like not allowing mental health to to dominate us maybe is another way to describe it. The reason why it's so hard is because humans go into fix it mode all the time. So when something doesn't feel right, like it feels weird that Grant passed away, what do I do? And our mind goes, well, I got to figure it out and think about this for a second. What does this mean for his family? What does this mean for, you know, the future of uh, 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 soccer coverage, right? What, what does this mean for, you know, the, the blog that he was writing and, and the places that he's worked and his friends and his family. And we go down that road. And what Holly's sharing in terms of being in the flow is, okay, if you have those thoughts at first, maybe do what Sam did. Write about them, put them out there. So the flow of writing is happening. But then instead of sitting and stewing about the what ifs, right? Okay, well, what are some other activities and behaviors and things that i can do because this mind body connection that you talk about eastern western holly like it should be the most known thing out there and instead i laid in bed for two and a half years waiting for medications to kick in for me not because i was a lazy sob but because that was what i was told i needed to do rest and let the medication work for you and and I, and what i hope everyone's hearing is as we're processing this grief of not just grant but these other losses and then future losses sadly we're all going to have because that's part of life is the getting up and doing even when it feels like i need to fix it i need to figure it out i need to understand it i need to you know go back and forth on it no like put it out there definitely put it out there have the conversations like we're having but then get yourself into this state of other stuff there and i'm going to challenge you in, in in based on what holly said because only because Wayne already gave us a great example of getting on the on the treadmill. What is your flow state of what you do outside of what your job is? I I witness it on social media, so I can pick a few things. But what do you think your flow state is that gets you out of your own head?
3: I don't know. Uh... It's your kids. Yeah. Kids. Yeah. Kids. Yeah. Like kids like they're
6: experts at it. They're so good at entering flow. Like they can be our guides in so many ways. Yeah, I don't,
3: t- I don't touch my phone for a hockey practice or a hockey
1: game. You, you go to the hockey practice with your kids. Like Darren somehow now thinks he's the biggest New Jersey devil season ticket holder on the planet because he's had it for like two or three years, which is hilarious <laughs> to me. That's my little dig to him, but like. Immersing yourself. And I, and I know it's hard for people out there because when you're in a place like what well, you're describing Holly Wayne, might've been in after the heart surgery, when you're feeling what I'm going to say is labeled as depression, because I don't love the term depression. I think it's a cluster of symptoms. It's very hard to feel an excitement towards something. So, so some of you might be hearing this and going, yeah, but Eric, like I can't find anything I'm passionate about right now, the way that Darren's passionate about his kids or the way that Wayne was passionate about running. What I'm sharing is you got to act as if, because when you get the body in motion, the reason why my doctor told me about shooting the hoops is because then the mind remembers, oh, the follow through and the feeling of the ball going through the net, and it's an accomplishment thing. And then you get, even though you're even though you going to be in your own head at first and go, I'm not feeling what I normally feel when I shoot that feeling's gonna start to come back when you go through the motion of that. Holly, in a way, it's almost like a manual version of neurofeedback, right? It's like you're teaching your brain. And Holly, I don't know if you know this, this particular exercise, but I've heard a lot with military, they like throw paint against a canvas instead of actually like actually doing a full painting, they'll throw paint against a canvas and allow that paint to dry in a certain way based on being taught how to throw it because it's the instant gratification of I made something. Mhm. Right.
6: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's really it it's if you are have if you're struggling with entering flow because maybe the flow is your job, I would invite you to lean into where your brain already is. Like let your brain guide you. And so if you're thinking about the what ifs, then writing about that, you know, drawing about that, creating around that. Um, I my sister-in-law lost her daughter last year around this time it's about to be the anniversary and she wanted she was all about like I want a cocoon and my brother who's also a journalist was like no we've got to keep going and do what we're going to do and so they are she has uh, she wasn't gonna have a tree instead she has Yazzie's tree she has a tree that's all things that her daughter loves mm-hmm. and with every single ornament that daughter's friends or she finds she's sharing stories and she's writing about it and she's just putting it out there, and so in her own way, that I don't think, it was, think she even realizes, she's creating this flow state for herself that's getting her through this time that I can't even imagine. Um, that we're all here for her, supporting her through, and that we've all been at in different ways. So you know, whatever works for you, listener or Derek or whomever, is what Darren is, is who is is how you should embrace it. Whatever. Works for your brain, works for where you're at now. Like meet yourself where you're at and just have some grace for yourself because it may not be easy. It may not be perfect. And that's okay. It's a step.
1: Darren, you, in closing this out, you know, and, and then I'll, I'll, I'll let Wayne have the, the last word, but you talked about a friend and you didn't give the name, understandably so, when we had the Halinskys on and we had the Browns on last episode, that there's a friend that chose not to discuss it not to talk about it and to turn inward and you saw the effects of a family not finding purpose meaning and going outward doing the cocooning that um Holly's talking about right I mean it, it, it I'm assuming you you see it on their faces the way they wear it the way they carry it around is it, is it a visceral
3: thing that you can notice? I mean it seems like you're doing the opposite it seems like you are forgetting the person. Um, you're doing what you need to do. And I respect it. But I think, ultimately, it seems like it's not productive to the person's legacy. If that's what you care about. It seems like maybe you're doing what I'm doing with all the death around me, um, which is, I'm just trying to preserve myself. They think that's the best way to preserve themselves. Yeah, I
1: get it. I just don't know that it's
3: the healthiest
1: because I think in the long run, what I've learned is that stuff builds. Yeah, Holly.
6: Well, it's a it's avoidance, and yeah. avoidance creates post traumatic stress. It's yep. you know it's a classic symptom of post traumatic stress. But if if you lean into the avoidance, it's what leads to that, you know, becoming more of an overwhelming experience. Um, and it's understandable. It's what again, like what we've been talking about. Like we as human beings want to do that. We want to put it in the other and put it somewhere else. Um, but I mean, even as you were describing that, I could feel the that like Wait. in my chest, like the pain of not speaking someone's name. It just, I just could feel it for them. And you know, as much as maybe they feel that's helpful for them right now, like I, oh, I, I, yeah, I'm holding space for for those folks. I and anyone who's doing going through that, that's, yeah, it's a lot to hold on to.
1: Wayne, as as we close, you know the processing that you think you did from your own experiences to now losing a friend's daughter at 21 to losing grant the way that you did. It doesn't take how horrific those experiences are away, but even though we experience more and more losses, we get older, as you share earlier in the episode, do you think that you're in a better place for processing these things and knowing how to deal with them because of the experiences that you've had with yourself?
5: For sure. I think it's a, it, two things. I think it's important to to have acceptance that this is this is this is this is how life works, and I I don't want to live a life like the one Darren said where I'm you know not living in fear of dying. I don't want to live that way, you know. I, and I think it's important for people to remember like you, you, I, if you were to ask Grant Wall if he would have rather have stayed home and not gone to the World Cup or had that happen, I don't know. But I'm going to guess he would have said he rather would have gone to the World Cup and lived his life. I'm assuming, right? The other thing is, and this is so simple, but it's so important. When you get into that space where you want to, where you want to hide, where you're counting the mile markers, where your heart is racing. I mean, I, I was on an airplane once convinced that I was going to have a heart attack on an airplane. And I wanted to tell the pilot we got to land right away. I mean, on a commercial aircraft, right? Verbalize that. Talk about that. Um, my wife has become an expert over all these years in listening to me say, hey, listen, my arm feels kind of weird. I'm not sure, hey, sweetheart, I'm sure you're fine. And not to dismiss it, but when you verbalize it and and and, and bring it out, sometimes you realize how silly it sounds. Um, and it's a relief that you know there's someone there who loves you and cares for you and and can help you. And so I think like, look, the five of us getting together and talking tonight, I, it helps every single one of us dealing with these things. We don't do this as human beings yep. there's there's a certain respect level where we don't want to talk to people about about death and grief or or how you're feeling and the ability people have to open up and just talk to people they care about and be open and comfortable um I think it helps immensely
1: well I know I know Holly is the resident female on this call um but wait wait with you sharing that I'll just you know I, I put a post up today because Jimmy Conrad, ironically, you know, part of the U.S. men's national team. He became a friend through what we do with the mental health thing. And he sent me a an article, Vox article on how men's close relationships are declining. The number of close relationships that men have are declining. And it made me think of it way when you talk about that. We don't do this anymore. Right. And, you know, Darren, Darren might not be willing to admit this, but I can see it in, in his voice and I can see it in Theo's voice when we have it, you know, every single week is this is therapeutic for us. It's therapeutic for us. Oh, I'll get- admit it.
3: I'll admit it. Okay. All right.
1: Thank you. Thank you for <laughs> lowering the guard. It, it's, it, you know, I am saying that only because Darren's, you know, because he's so busy. He's always like, when are we doing it? What time is it that We got, but I know it's something that he looks forward to because this is a form of group therapy. And what we're trying to create with this show is you're listening to group therapy, but you're a part of it with us. And you're going along for this ride with us. And if these conversations aren't happening elsewhere, come here for them. But hopefully, it motivates more of these conversations to happen in other venues. So, really appreciate you all. It, it helped me tremendously. I, there's a lot that I've been holding on to. So, I thank you, Holly. I thank you, Wayne. Thank you, Sam, Darren. I, I think I thank you, but um, we do this enough times. Uh, on behalf of everyone here uh we're all a little crazy uh look forward to speaking with you next time thanks